when, when Pastor and I were talking about today and the weekend and being with you last night, we were, we were discussing it even again last night, just talking about, you know, the message for this morning. So I, I know today is the Sunday before Valentine's Day, and I know that tomorrow, time, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And, and guys, you know, hurry, get to the card store. Don't be late. Don't be last. If you're late to last, there's going to be one card with a sad dog that says, I woof you, and that's all you're going to give your wife. So get there today. <laughs> get there today before the bad cards are left. And, uh, but, the, but Pastor really said, you know, it doesn't have to be a Valentine's message. Preach what God's burned in your heart. And that's what I'd like to do this morning. Because I, I have a message that just burns in my spirit for you today. It's on God's ability to restore and the title of the message is The God Who Restores. If you have your Bible, you might want to open to Luke chapter 15. And it's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. It's the story of the prodigal son. I'm sure that Pastor has done a masterful job on many occasions with this passage of Scripture. But would you just join with me and ask God to speak to us fresh? Don't assume that you already know where the message is going and what the thoughts are. Let's just open up our hearts and see what the Lord might say to us. Because... Uh, you know, I, I think God has something very particular that he would like to speak this morning. How many of you know that perception is very important? There's an old statement, perception is reality. And have you ever, uh, have you ever heard about something? Maybe, maybe you heard about, especially if you have kids, if you have teenagers or, you know, kids, you know, you hear something and, and your first reaction is one thing and then you find out more about it and it changes because the perception of it changed, because reality changed. I love the story about the old general. This great four-star general had given his entire life in the military and wore the uniform with great pride and distinction and, and had all of his um, medals of honor and his uniform was sharp and he carried himself with such decorum. And he's got this young buck private who's just basically out of training, still Hasn't quite learned how to carry himself with all the dignity and respect that the general would expect. But, you know, they're, they're going to ride on this train together. And they're going back to the military camp. And it's an old-fashioned train where you sit across from each other. So the general and the private, they sit down and the train starts down the track. And pretty soon the train stops. And on the train gets the, uh, walks in this very Victorian, prudish mother and her young, cute, flirty, vivacious daughter. And they sit right across from them. The train gets to moving and it goes down the tracks and it enters into a long dark tunnel. And here's what you hear. A really sloppy kiss and a really sharp slap on somebody's face. And here's what everybody's thinking. The Victorian prudish mother is thinking, I can't believe the gall and audacity of that private to reach over and to kiss my daughter with me here, with the general there. Well, I hope they throw him out of the military when they get him back. And she should have slapped him ten times harder than that. Here's what, here's what the general's thinking. I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated. This private has, has not only humiliated me, he's humiliated the United States Armed Forces. And when we get back to camp, I will do everything I can to make sure that he is thoroughly disciplined for his, for his response this morning to kiss that young girl. But what I don't understand is, how did she miss him and slap me? Here's what the cute, flirty, vivacious daughter is thinking. That private, I thought he was kind of cute. And saw him making eyes at me and looking at me, you know, and I kind of like to have got his name. But what I don't understand is, how did he miss me and kiss my mama? <laughs> And why, oh, why did she slap him so hard? 
Here's what the private knows happened. Never had more fun in all my life. Never had more fun in all my life. Kissing the back of my hand and slapping the daylights out of a general. (laughs) Three people had a perception. One person knew what reality was. Now, I want to tell you right up front what the message is about this morning. And that is this. I I think the vast majority of us understand our need for a Savior. That each one of us is a broken person. We're a sinful person. That there's nothing in us worthy to go to heaven. But Jesus Christ willingly came and paid the price for us. And by simply giving our life to him and saying, Lord, here it is. Take my life as we sing so wonderfully this morning. Christ will come in and save you from your sins. Isn't that a great thing to know this morning? We know that he's a savior. I think all of us also recognize that we still need to be forgiven from time to time. Even after you're saved, right? How many of you know that you still got some humanity lurking around in there? You know, you can be saved and filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues and read tons of the Word of God and do all these worship songs. And it's amazing to me that we can have a great experience and, and uh, families can get into an argument before they get off the parking lot of the church. That's why everybody should drive alone. <laughs> and today we really do. Most of us drive alone, you know. Come on, how many of you know that you can backslide going to Walmart? 60,000 checkout lines and only two are open. Right? I can tell by looking around this crowd, I found my people. Some of you are very impatient. I can just tell you're impatient. Some of you are already impatient going, let's come on, let's keep this thing moving this morning. Some of you are so impatient, you look for a passing lane and a car wash. <laughs> come on. Some of us still have a little bit of a temper issue. And aren't you glad that the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. But here's the third one. And that's God's ability to restore. Because the God who saves and the God who forgives is also a God who can restore. And listen, there are are people here this morning that, that you feel if you blow it big enough in life, whatever that is, whether maybe it's bankruptcy, maybe it's an addictive behavior, maybe it's... uh, uh, trouble at home, maybe it's a lost job, whatever it is, you, I mean, you fill in the blank. There are people who feel like if you blow it big enough, if you make a big enough mess out of your life, you can still be saved and you can still be forgiven, but you're second class and you're defective the rest of your time on earth. And friends, that's not so. The God who saves and the God who forgives is a God who restores And our God does not restore partially. He restores fully and completely those who have a heart for him. So let's go to the passage this morning in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is telling this wonderful, wonderful story. And it's full of so much wonderful truth for us this morning. Luke chapter 15 verse 11. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country where he squandered his estate with loose living. So that when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So that he went out and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the field to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. 
But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread while I'm dying here with hunger? So I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. But I want you to pay particular note to verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you feel the failure that this young man, the the embarrassment, the humiliation, the sense of unworthiness, the second class, the the, the sense of defective, that, that whatever great life I once had, I have thrown it away and I have lost it and I can, I, can, I can still come back and I can be forgiven, but I can never be restored. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father with no idea how the father would respond. With really nothing but a sense that the father was not going to respond very well and that just maybe he had totally blown it. Well, let me just put it. Let me just put it in 2011. This young couple move here to uh, Lee's Summit. They start attending Crown Point Church. Their young couple pastor performs their marriage, and and the, the husband is an entrepreneurial type. So he starts a little business here in the Lee Summit area, and pretty soon that business starts to thrive. and And it's the husband and wife, and then they hire a, an administrative assistant, and then they hire some men to help them. And soon it's five employees, and then ten employees, and fifteen employees. The wife comes home with the great news one day that she's expecting, and it's going to be a boy. Their first son is born right here at the church, and he's dedicated here by pastor. And this young couple are respected here in this church, and they're in leadership here, and they're, they're loved in Lee Summit. Their business just keeps on growing. Soon it's 50 employees and 100 employees, and the wife comes home and says, we're going to have another baby, and time goes by, and it's another son. Both of the boys grow up right here and they go through the ministry and the youth group and great things happen in their life and and then the boys graduate from high school and they go off to college. Each one of them gets their degree and they come home and they say, Dad, there's nothing that could be greater. We want to work in the family business. And the dad's just bursting with pride. His boys want to be a part of the business. So he takes his company and he names him vice president of two different divisions And life is just great until one day the younger son comes and says, Dad, all my life I've grown up in your shadow. I'm always your boy. At church, I'm your boy. At work, I'm your boy. In school, because of of your involvement in in the community, I'm your boy. And while I was away at university, I kind of got to be myself, you know. I wasn't just your son. I was me. And, And I got to do my own thing. And I felt freedom. And I felt some liberty. And... You know, so I know how it all works. When you and mom pass away, half of everything is going to each one of us. And I don't mean any disrespect, but I would just like my half now. And the dad agrees and gives him half of everything. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, as pastor uh, alluded to. And then I, I pastored two wonderful churches. And right now I'm traveling full time. I met your youth pastor last night. Great, great person. And I can tell you, in all my years of ministry, no young person ever came to me and said, what I want to do when I grow up is I want to blow up my life. (laughs) Nobody ever came to me, Pastor, and said, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. (laughs) 
That's my ambition. I want to be an alcoholic. I want to be married and divorced multiple times. I want to be bankrupt. I want to be in and out of trouble. Nobody starts off that way. I don't think this young man left home with an intention of, I'm going to absolutely destroy my life. But he did move away from his family, and he moved away from his church, and he moved away from God. And he started on a journey that had he, if he could see where the journey was going to ultimately go, he would have never gone. But how many of you understand that, that it's very easy? The Bible, I mean, we've talked this weekend, you know, the devil is very deceptive. He, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. So I think what happened is this young man, if this platform represents the height of living, this young man starts off on a journey, and pretty soon he got away from home and away from town and away from his family, and, and he takes a step down. He starts to do a few things that he wouldn't have done at home. He doesn't have those boundaries and parameters anymore. And he's left God behind out of the picture. And he starts on this journey down. And every step just keeps taking him down and down and down until he reaches rock bottom. If he could have seen rock bottom when he was back up there, I don't think he would have ever gone. But he didn't see it. How many of you know? Come on, how many of you know this morning? The devil is very deceptive and he can, he, can, he can cause you to become blinded and make a choice that starts you on a journey that takes you to a place you never, never thought you would find yourself. All the money has gone. He can't get a good job anymore because his resume is pathetic. He's, he's probably been hired and fired. Maybe he has... Uh, maybe he has multiple times where he's been arrested. He doesn't, he, you know, it, it shows where he's quit. There's these gaps of time where he doesn't even have a job. His dad, I mean, he remembers back at home, dad paid his employees well. Everybody had benefits. Uh, the, the employees, you know, dad paid people well. They, 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 they owned cars. They had houses. They could educate their kids. But this guy is at the bottom. The only job he can find is at a pig farm. And the pig farmer is not a nice person. He's not a godly person. He's not a generous person because he's not even paying him minimum wage. Because the Bible says he's not even making enough money to feed himself. He's destitute. There is no money. The checks have all bounced. The bank accounts are all empty. Uh, whatever he, he probably sold his car and he sold all of his belongings to try to stay on top. There's no friends. Everybody's deserted him. He's at rock bottom. And he starts remembering how life used to be. I used to have it really good. I had a great church and a great family and friends, and I got a good education. I had a wonderful job, and I threw all that away. But maybe I could go home. And maybe if I go home, I'll tell Dad, you know, Dad, I've blown it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so I'll change my name. And I won't tell anybody that you and Mom are my parents, and I'll grow a beard, and I'll change my appearance. But if I could just be second class, it would be better than what I have right now. If I could just be a hired person in the factory, it'd be better than what I have right now. And he gets up, not knowing what's going to happen. And friends, this morning, my premise is very, very simple. When you and I blow it, when you and I start on a journey that takes us to downward on a trail, and when we find ourselves at rock bottom, 
When, when once maybe we had a great, great life and we allowed ourselves to make a series of decisions and go on a journey that ends up at rock bottom and we decide to come home to God, what are we going to find? What are we going to find? And I've got five very simple observations for us this morning. Number one, God sees us where we are. Verse 20 says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I think the father saw him because I think the father was looking for him. I think the father would go to the interstate and remember the day when he, when he sat there at the interstate and he watched the boy in his truck go down the road and he watched until those taillights were all that he could see and he watched until they disappear. And sure, the dad heard the reports. I mean, he got the bank statements. He saw the bounce checks. He saw the boy go through all the money. He heard the rumors. Maybe law enforcement called him from time to time and, and he knew all the things that had happened. But at the end of the day, he's still my boy. He's still my son. And, and Pastor, I think that the, the dad would go to that interstate some days and just sit there with his eyes filled with tears and just think, oh, I would love to see a vehicle coming toward me today instead of going away. Instead of it growing smaller, I'd love to see it growing larger. Instead of taillights, I wish I could see headlights. I wish I could see my boy coming back. Friends, the, the good news this morning on this Valentine's weekend, we serve a God who sees us where we are. He sees us where we are and he does not see us where we are to condemn us and judge us and to let us have it. We serve a God. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the whole earth looking to show himself strong. Strong. God knows all about me. He knows me when I'm at my best and he knows me when I'm at my worst. He knows me when I am totally enraptured in his presence. And he knows me when my mind has not thought about him for some time. He knows every one of us intimately. And he sees us where we are. But it gets even better because number two, God loves us where we are. Oh, I love this. Look at verse 20. We go back. Look what it says. And the dad felt Compassion. It doesn't say the dad felt angry. It doesn't say the dad felt bitter. It doesn't say the dad felt resentful. It doesn't say the dad felt enraged to see his boy having the audacity to come back. No, it says he felt compassion because he's my boy. We were singing such a wonderful chorus. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Friends, if, if that would really get into our hearts, it would change our lives. God loves us. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God is not willing that any should perish. The news, the message, the theme of the entire Bible is about this God who has this irrational, irrepressible, crazy, over-the-top love for people. I'm very committed to reading the Bible through every year. I read the one-year Bible. I really enjoy the one-year Bible because every day it's New Testament, Old Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs every day so that when you get to Leviticus, you get some New Testament in there, you know? And every year, Adam and Eve, every year I hold out hope that this year they're not going to mess up. And every year they mess up. 
every single year. Adam and, I mean, when there's only two, they mess up. And you know what? If, if God didn't love us, that was his opportunity to say, boy, that was an experiment gone bad. <laughs> I think I'll create aliens. <laughs> he starts instantly working to pull Adam and Eve back to him. He's a God of grace. How many of you, how many of you have children? You have children? How many of you, uh, uh, where are the, here's some of the youth. You know, how many of you know, how many, those of you that are parents of youth or college age people, how many of you know that they, know, they never talk, they text? Right? <laughs> They text. My daughter, I have two daughters. Abby is 20. She's at uh, Southwestern, a junior. And uh, my daughter, Sarah, is at a, an internship in a church in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, she's in Jamaica right now on a missions trip. And I just have to tell you, and I have a wonderful wife named Debbie. And I wish my wife could have been here this weekend. She has uh, fibromyalgia. And so we have to kind of navigate around her pain. But uh, you know, I just have to tell you that I'm crazy about my daughters. I'm just crazy. I'm goofy about my daughters. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of these, listen, I'm, I'm not one of these good macho men, never cry. I'm a real tender-hearted guy. I was telling them last night, my daughters love Christmas because they hope for Hallmark commercials because they know I'm going to cry. I mean, I just, I cry. Listen, I raised girls. I didn't raise a boy. I'd have killed a boy. <laughs> I raised girls. And so I'm, I'm a chick flick expert. <laughs> I know exactly when the guy's going to turn in the movie. <laughs> and, 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 and so, you know, my daughters, they are the love of my life. I mean, my daughters, you know, I would do anything with them. And my daughter, Abby, is going to get married in a month. And I'm having a nervous breakdown. Because I'm just not ready. He's a nice guy. He's just not worthy. <laughs> he's a, no, he's a really great guy. And he's going to treat her very well. And... But, you know, I'm just not ready. So, when, so my daughters, right now, I could text my daughters and I'd get a response. If I called them, I could starve. Because I don't know that they know how to answer the phone. Really. Right? Am I right? I'm t- someday there's going to be a wedding. Pastor, there's going to be a wedding someday right here. You're going to do it. This beautiful bride is going to walk down. This groom's going to come out and he's going to be standing here in his tux. And she's going to come down in the white dress. And you're going to be standing here to officiate the wedding. And you're going to say, repeat after me. And they're going to text their vows. I do. I do, because they don't know how to talk, which may make marriage a lot easier. I don't know. And so my daughters, and my daughter Abby went off to, okay, I think we're done now. That's the rapture. Rapture is going to have intelligent lights, you know. So I started this little habit with Abby, and, then, and now that Sarah's gone, almost every night. I did it last night, and, and almost every night. Occasionally, I miss it. Uh, the last thing I do with my phone is I plug it up, and I turn it off so the emails won't, you know, ding all night, and so the texting won't, but I, but I send both Abby and Sarah a message. Hey, I hope you had a real good day. And as I go to sleep tonight, I'm praying for you. And I just want you to know I love you. And I left my phone on. And if you need me for anything at all tonight, all you have to do is call me and I'll answer you. And friends, for 2,000 years, Jesus has been sending a message to this earth. Hey, I just want you to know I love you. And if you need me for anything, all you have to do is call on me and I will show you great and mighty things you cannot even imagine. He's a God who loves us. The God who loves us. And then number three, God meets us where we are. 
God meets us where we are. Look what it goes on to say. And the dad ran and embraced him and kissed him. The, dad, the Bible doesn't say and the dad folded up his arms and thought to himself, I'm going to let that boy crawl on his hands and knees all the way back here and I'm going to let him apologize and then I'll decide what my response will be. No, no. The dad ran to where he was and met him where he was. And without him cleaning up or anything, he kissed him and embraced him. And he, he's just pouring out this love upon this guy. He's just reaching out. And friends, I want you to know God will meet us where we are, no matter how far you are, no matter how deep you are, no matter how dark you are, God will meet you where you are. If you'll make the slightest move toward him, he will come running. God will go farther to meet you than what you go to meet him. He'll meet you where you are. And uh, let me me give you just a little bit of Jewish tradition and a couple of really important reasons why this is huge. In in Jewish history, you know, these little towns in the the New Testament, they're they're small towns. They're not not metropolitan areas like Kansas City. They're they're small little towns. They're they're little villages. They're Mayberry. Think Mayberry in the New Testament. I mean, you got Gomer and Goober and Barney. (laughs) They're all there. (laughs) And there's all these little towns out there. And, And so... So when this young man did what he did to his family, Jewish history says that the whole community would feel embarrassed and ashamed of this young man. Not just would, not did he just embarrass the family, he embarrassed the whole community. If you've ever grown up in a small town, you know, you ever been, I, I lived in Siloam Springs for a while. It's a town of 10,000 people in northwest Arkansas. And let me tell you, all you need to do, in, and all you have to do in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, is just go to Walmart, and you can catch up on everything. <laughs> right. So, so, here's the deal. When this young man is making his move toward home, it would not have been out of the ordinary for the men of the town to gather on the road, and as this young man is making his way back, for the men to yell insults and to even maybe throw sticks and stones at him would not be, it would not be out, of the, out of call at all. It could very easily have happened. In the Old Testament, when David is coming back, Shimei stood on a hill and threw sticks and stones and hurled insults at David. So what the dad is saying, oh, this is great. What the dad is saying is this. He's saying, I don't care what anybody else thinks about him. He's still my boy, and I'm going to meet him where he is, and I'm going to take the journey with him. Friends, listen, I I wish I could tell you that when you've reached rock bottom, I wish I could tell you everybody wants you to get up. Everybody wants you to clean up. Everybody wants you to be restored. Everybody wants... But there are some people out there, they want you to stay down. They want to keep you down. They want to remind you of your failure. But God will run to where you are, and he'll meet you where you are, and he will take the journey with you. He will take the journey. Another reason why this is very important is, again, you know, uh, the way that a man carried himself in the New Testament was very important. So the only way, they wore robes. And so the only way that this dad could run, would he would, he would have to pull his robe up. And, and for, a man of his, for a man of his stature to dare to show his legs, that would be somewhat scandalous. It would be a shameful. So here's the deal. When the dad pulls his robe up and he's showing his legs, he is taking the shame off of his son and putting it on himself. Friends, the Bible says that Jesus took our shame and our disgrace and our sin upon himself. Isn't that great news? Ah. Oh. But if that's not good enough, number four, 
God restores us from where we are. He, he sees us where we are. He loves us where we are. He meets us where we are. But he's not going to leave us there because it's not good. And so he's going to restore us from where we are. Look what the kid has this. this I love this. The kid has this, this speech. Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The dad's not even listening. Look at verse 22. The father said to his slaves, go bring out my best robe. I love that. Because this kid once had it made. And you know what? The dad doesn't say, go get him some garage sale clothes. Because he once had it and he threw it all away. Go get him some thrift store stuff. No, no. Go get my best robe. My boy's feet are bloodied and they're infected and they're calloused and they're bleeding. He doesn't even own shoes. Go get some shoes for his feet. Go get a ring for his finger. If it were 2011, it would go something like this. The dad would run to his boy and he'd say, boy, come on, we're going home. You, you, you've been in the pigsty long enough. We're going home. We're going to take you home. We're going to get you all cleaned up. And, and boy, you've ruined your health. You look at your skin and bones. You, you, you haven't eaten well and, and, and you've hurt yourself with the things that you've done to your body. We're going, to, we're going to take you to the doctor and we're going to get you back on the road to health. And then after that, we're going down and we're going to buy you all new clothes. I mean, just a great new wardrobe of clothing. And then after that, we're going down to the dealership. We're going to get you a brand new truck. They got new bells and whistles. The new bottles are out. And then after that, we're going down to the bank and we're going to close out those other accounts and we're going to open up a new account. I'm going to put fresh money into it. And boy, you know, you're vice president over one of the parts of my company. And day after day, I'd walk by your door and I'd see that plaque there and I'd see that plaque there. And, and one day I, I, I slid that out, but I didn't throw it away. I stuck it in the bottom drawer and it's been there all this time. We're going down to the company and I'm going to pull that drawer out and I'm going to polish that up and I'm going to put it back on there because boy, I thought you were dead, but you're alive. I thought you were lost, but you're found. He's a God who restores us from where we are. Look at Psalm 71 with me this morning. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. Psalm 71. You've allowed me to suffer much hardship. But look at this. You will restore me to life again. And lift me up from the depth of the earth. Lift me up from the depth of the earth. And if you don't believe God is a good God, look at this next statement. And you will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Friends, that's a promise for somebody here this morning. You've been beating yourself up and you've been feeling unworthy. And maybe there are people that beat you up and make you feel unworthy. But the God that I came here to worship and serve and, and talk to you about this morning is not a God who will do that to you. I'm traveling a lot these days and, and, and so I fly a lot. And as a result of flying a lot, I fly mostly on American, and, and so I've earned, you know, some of the, I'm, I'm executive platinum now from my travels. And so, you know, if you, if you fly, you fly back in coach, and the airlines have gotten, you know, airlines are trying to make all the profits, so you're back there in coach, and your luggage, I mean, everybody's trying to carry their luggage on because nobody wants to check it, and you're stuffed in this little place, and you, you know, they don't even serve you peanuts anymore. They charge you for everything. But every now and then, right before we get on the plane, they'll, they'll call my name. And they'll say, you've been upgraded. And you get to fly first class today. Ooh, the seats in first class. Yeah, I heard somebody, woo Because, <laughs> I mean, first class seats, they're nice. 
Nobody's bleeding over into your seat. <laughs> it's leather chairs. They know your name. Mr. Goldsmith, can I take your jacket? Can I do this? Can we do that for you? Before we take off, would you like something to drink? And when they bring you something to drink, it's a real glass. I mean, life's good when you get upgraded. <laughs> God's saying to you this morning, I want to upgrade your life. I want to bring you out of coach, and I want to take you to first class. Uh, I want to take you out of your pain and your misery. I want to take you beyond your memories. I want, to, I want to take you to a place that you cannot even imagine. Let me give you another great scripture. Job chapter 8 verse 6. The Bible says, if you are pure and upright in heart, even now God will rouse himself and restore you to your rightful place. Is that not awesome? I mean, I just love that language. God will rouse himself on your behalf, on my behalf, and restore you to your rightful place. Man, this is a great God. Jesus Christ is a wonderful Savior and a great forgiver and an incredible restorer. And then finally, number five. God celebrates our restoration. Celebrate. Kill the fatted calf we're going to eat because my boy has come home again. I love that we're going to celebrate. God celebrate. We just came through Christmas. How many of you, do y'all like Christmas around here? I mean, I, I'm from the South and, and we love Christmas, but how many of you, I mean, do y'all have all, every, all, everybody comes to your house, so you go and it's all the family get together. How many of you glad when that's over? <laughs> I mean, come on. And maybe you look at some of your relatives and go, I don't know how that could happen. Right? I mean, maybe it doesn't happen. I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> so, I, we, you know, so we have, we, I have this one relative, and they mean really well, but here's how Christmas goes. We all get together, and we've had the dinner. We all get around the Christmas trees and all this laughter and lightheartedness. But there's always this one relative, they kind of throw their present at you. Here! <laughs> you know, they mean well, it's just their funny little personality. Here, I hope you like it. I hope you appreciate how much trouble I had to go to. I wasted five tanks of gas down at the mall trying to find a parking spot. Gas is $3 a gallon now, you know. And I, and I had to stand in line, 50,000 checkout stands, only two are open. And I stood in line, I got corns and bunions, but I stood in line just for you. You know, and I clipped coupons for 17 months. Of course, I waited till Christmas Eve, so I don't think it's your size, but it's close. I hope you appreciate it. Does anybody have one of those? Because if you don't, I'd like to pass them on to you next year. Everybody ought to be blessed the same way. <laughs> when God, listen, when, when God restores you from where you've been, no matter how low, no matter how dark, no matter how painful, when God has restored you from where you've been, God will never look at you and go, well, I hope you appreciate that. <laughs> hope you know how much trouble I had to go to. Got on my chariot and rode the streets of heaven to find the right angels. I burned up some good angels for you. Had some real nice ones that I lost in that. I had to melt down some streets of gold to pay you out of this mess. We got potholes in heaven now because of you. <laughs> I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. When God 
When God reaches down and pulls you out of the worst mess, when God brings you out of something you could never have gotten yourself out, when God delivers you, when God liberates you, when God elevates you, when God rouses himself and restores you to your rightful place and even gives you greater honor. At the end of the day, it's not about me and you anyway. It's about him and who he is. And he celebrates. He celebrates. Let me show you one great story out of this. Peter. Peter was with Jesus every day during Jesus' ministry. When we read the words of uh, Jesus, Peter heard the voice, you know. How many of you know voices? When, when my do- when, on those very rare occasions when my daughters call, my daughters don't have to say, hey, Dad, this is Abby. I know that voice. You know, my wife, Debbie, doesn't go, hey, this is Debbie, your wife. <laughs> I know that voice. Peter knew that voice. When we read about those miracles, Peter saw blind eyes open. He saw lame people get up and walk again. Peter saw it. Peter got to go on special road trips with Jesus. Every now and then Jesus would say, you know what, I'm, I'm going, I, and where I'm going, I can't take everybody. I'm going to take Peter, James, and John. And on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John. One day, all 12 disciples are sitting there together, and Jesus says, well, guys, I'm taking a road trip. Matthew looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, do you think you're going to get to go? And Thomas says, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, it's cheap jokes, but can you say? <laughs> I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> But Peter got to go. <laughs> and on the night that Jesus has been arrested and he is being beaten. And it's all started. All those events that are going to lead to the crucifixion. Peter starts to distance himself and starts to take a journey downward. Little girl says, I know you. You're Galilean. You sound like him. You've been with him. Mm-mm. I don't know what you're talking about. Second time. Downward. You were with him. We know. We were at some of those places. You were there. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. I've never met him. Downward. Till the third time. The third time he not only denies Jesus, he curses. He's at rock bottom. Peter once had a great life. Just there, everywhere. Now he's at rock bottom. The end of the book of John, Peter doesn't know what to do. He's blown it. He's made a mess out of everything. It's the darkest, it's the lowest. The good life he once had is now gone. And he goes back to fishing. He doesn't know what to do. And, and he's probably like me and you. He plays those tapes over and over. Oh, if I could just go back and stop that one moment, I would say, yes, I know him and I'll die with him. But you can't turn back the clock. And he's just fishing and he's humiliated and he's ashamed and he's filled with regret. And, he, 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 and he's just out there looking and all of a sudden he hears this voice from behind him. Hey, Peter, I love you. And he knows that voice. 
Because he's heard that voice over and over and over. And he's thinking that possibly cannot be Jesus after what I did. After I denied and cursed and turned my back and distanced myself. It can't be him. It's got to be Thomas. Thomas has learned how to imitate his voice. And he hears that voice the second time. Hey, Peter. I forgive you. His palms are sweaty and his heart is racing. And tears are running down his face. And he's thinking, how can he forgive me after what I did? How in the world could he forgive me? And, and he, he, he's so overcome that he just has to turn. And he looks back and there's Jesus cooking broiling fish. It's Jesus' equivalent of saying, come on home, Peter. Come back home. And Peter can't get his robe on fast enough to get out of the boat and get back to him. He once had a great life and now he's at the very bottom. But Jesus has started the work of saying, I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to raise you to even greater honor. I'm going to lift you out of the depth of the mess that you've created. Acts chapter 2 comes and the Holy Spirit falls and 120 are filled with the Holy Spirit. And who is it that gets to stand up and preach the message that launches the church? Peter. That's our God. That's our God. You can be at the bottom this morning and you can be at the lowest and you can be at your worst and you could be in your most painful. And I'm telling you, there's a God who is reaching out to you right now saying, if you just bring it all to me, if you just give it all to me, if you'll just make a tiny little move in my direction, I'll run and meet you where you are and I'll take you on the journey and I will take you to a place you never thought you would be again. I used to preach about God's ability to give second chances. And I do. I think God gives second chances. But, but, but for some of us, second chances, it, it still carries a stigma. Because second means that there was a first. And so if you get a second chance, if, if you blow it really big in life and you really mess things up, you know, a second chance still makes you feel the stigma of there was a first. If, somebody, if you come in second place, somebody came in first. So I've come here with really great news this morning. God is not only about second chances. God's about new beginnings. He is about wiping the slate completely clean. And saying, let's start all over again. Would you stand with me this morning? And I am so honored to be with you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. The Holy Spirit is in this place.